From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. Fire! Providing warmth and light. Scaring away predators. Allowing early humans to smith better tools and get more nourishment out of their food through cooking. But the deities of fire demand great respect and can't be treated casually. Fire is also destructive and needs to be controlled. Fire requires vigilance and careful planning. Alkialoha Perry and his singing surfriders now approach the altar of the Hawaiian fire goddess Pele with this traditional chant recorded in 1940. <laughs> I am a little bit of a
dos candelas que achicharran al mirar, que los pongo en la cazuela y el carbón está de más. Ante allí me entró una mota y llamaron al doctor, se ardieron hasta las botas mirándome el párpado. Como echaba más humo que un tren, le gritaba a mi prima Belén. Fuego, 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 como huele a chamusquina. Fuego, 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 ay, que no que son sardinas. Fuego, fuego, que te quema, que te tiro los carzones. Fuego, fuego, la tinaja y el reloj del comedón. Fuego, 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 quema más que los corchones. Ay, fuego, 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 que papá que los tiró. ¡Anda! ¡Ay! Con el fuego se asustaban un horror y tiraban los talegos de garbanzos y barro. Viverones a montones comenzaron a caer. Ay, los niños en los barcones tocaban la manga rie. Y al bombero le llaman papá con aplauso de la vecindad. Ay, fuego, 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 la gallina que se quema. Ay, fuego, fuego, fuego. Poner huevo con dos yemas, fuego, fuego, las babuchas, lo pijamas con remiendo, fuego, fuego, que tu abuela no se entera que bardea. Ay, fuego, 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 que la cama está diciendo, fuego, 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 que la lleven el café. Ay, bombero, la manga me apunte, vaya, que la pobre mi abuela se va a refriar. Mundos y planetas en revolución, poner fuego, fuego de mi corazón. ¡Fuego! ¡Fuego! ¡Ay! Mundos y planetas en revolución con el fuego, fuego de mi corazón. ¡Ay, que me quemo, que me quemo, bombero! ¡Ay! Fuego, fuego, las babuchas, los pijamas con remiendo. ¡Fuego, fuego, que tu abuela no se entera que bardea! Fuego, 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 que la cama está diciendo, fuego, 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 que le lleven el café, hay bombero, la manga me apunte para allá, que la pobre mi abuela se va a resfriar, mundos y planetas en revolución, con el fuego, fuego de mi corazón, ay, fuego, fuego, mundos y planetas en revolución, con el fuego, fuego de mi corazón, sí, Celeste Grijo y Fieri Fidanzini con su orquesta from Argentina with the fiery outburst Fuego, Fuego. And we commenced with Elki Aloha Perry and his singing Surfriders with their 1940 traditional chant to the Hawaiian fire goddess Pele. Before the days of central heating and glowing television sets, families would gather around the glowing hearth fire. What hasn't changed is just how relaxed humans feel around blazing logs. The practice of sitting around fires goes back to prehistoric times. Researchers have found that blood pressure drops when people watch and listen to the sounds of fire. They think that humans have evolved to enjoy being around fires because of the importance of being cozy and sharing stories and food with loved ones. Peter Filling with Anson Weeks and his 1937 orchestra will now elaborate on this sentiment, gazing at a blazing fire.
gazing at a blazing fire All alone with thoughts of you Dreams go marching by and I wonder why They never come true Gazing at a blazing fire You are right before my eyes Can it be the flame whispering your name Or my heart that sighs Once in a night in December Two hearts sang a warm refrain Now like this burning ember Only ashes of love remain Gazing at a blazing fire Dreaming you are still my own But with the coming dawn When the fire is gone I'll be all alone
takes on the importance of sitting in front of the fire with family and loved ones. We just heard Joe Morrison with George Olson and his music, Throw Another Log on the Fire, from 1933. Before that, John McCormick with the 1917 World War I song, Keep the Home Fires Burning. And the batch of burning ballads began with gazing at a blazing fire. Peter Filling with Anson Weeks and his orchestra in 1937. And the prehistoric provenance of our relationship with fire also underscores the use of flames in poetic imagery. We hear next 
Glistening in the Fog is My Fire, a Russian gypsy song interpreted for us by Vadim Kozin and recorded in the USSR in the 1930s. Here is Glistening in the Fog is My Fire.
Two Poetical Visions of Fire. We just heard Earl Hines and his orchestra with the 1941 Yellow Fire. Before that, a Russian gypsy song from 1930s USSR featuring Vadim Kozin. Glistening in the Fog is My Fire. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane, and today we pay homage to the elemental power of fire. Using fire to cook food serves to pre-digest meat, vegetables, and grains so that less energy is needed by the human body to obtain nourishment. Many scientists believe that these extra calories allowed humans to develop much larger brains. In addition, the use of fire allowed early humans to work with metals to develop better pots and pans and knives and arrowheads. And speaking of weapons, Fire is a double-edged sword. Rudy Valley and his 1937 Connecticut Yankees are here on record to warn, don't play with fire. Don't play with fire. 
set me on fire And then you left me out in the cold First you warmed my heart and then you chilled it You gave me hope and then you killed it You set me on fire And then you left me out in the cold You led me to think in many small ways Our romance would last always I never knew that human hearts could be so brittle Now I know it's so And now you're breaking mine to pieces little by little How can I keep you if you want to go? Why did I believe those lovely little lies you told? Oh, you set me on fire And now I'm out in the cold Set Me on Fire. That was Dan Grisson with Jimmy Lunsford and his orchestra, which will file under 1939 instances of amorous arson. This was preceded by a 1937 safety warning from Rudy Valley and his Connecticut Yankees, don't play with fire. As we gaze into the sacrificial bonfire, let us ask just what is fire anyway? Well, fire is a chemical chain reaction of three important elements, oxygen, fuel, and heat. If you want to stop a fire, it is necessary to remove one of those elements. You can smother it to starve it of oxygen, you can deprive it of fuel, or you can douse it with water to cool it down. Buddy Starcher will now use that last option with his 1946, The Fire in My Heart Will Be Drowned Out With Tears. I trusted you, dear What more can I say? Now heartbreak and tears Is the price I must pay but weeping will keep a soul in despair. And there'll come a time when I'll no longer care. You started a flame, a fire in my heart. You'd be true That we never would part You left me alone And through the long years The fire in my heart Will be drowned out with tears 
I can't face a friend The ones we both knew to you I'll go on somehow and hope for the day the love in my heart will be always the way you started a flame a fire in my heart I thought you'd be true That we never would part You left me alone And through the long years The fire in my Take the hose on the fireman's ride. People 
That was Celeste Holm, the 1945 Fireman's Bride. Before that, Buddy Starcher used his own 1946 tears to drown out the fire in his heart. You are listening to WSHDLP Esport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane, and today we are appreciating the power of fire. Everybody's nightmare is to have your house burned down. You always hear about people smoking in bed or kids playing with matches, but almost half of destructive fires in the home are cooking related. If you have a grease fire, do not pour water on it. That will cause the fire to explode all over the place. Turn off the heat and cover the fire with a metal lid. Pour baking soda on it or use a fire extinguisher if you have one. Do not transfer the burning pot anywhere. Escape and call 911. Here's some 1940 advice from Wilmouth Houdini and the Bamboo Orchestra. Mama, call the fire brigade.
heard Wellmouth Houdini and the Bamboo Orchestra with their 1940 admonition, Mama, call the fire brigade! This is followed by a very early recording from before 1910 called Midnight Fire Alarm, which reminds us that we should have a smoke detector on each floor and test it occasionally. And speaking of fires in the middle of the night, have you or your family ever thought about what you would do if your slumbers were interrupted by the house catching fire? It's recommended to have two escape routes from your bedroom. The door is number one, but if the door is hot, don't open it. Try to go out the window. Sit down with your family and figure out the best escape route ahead of time. And every six months or so, have each family member put on a blindfold and see how long it takes them to get safely outside. The escape may require some crawling on the floor where there is more oxygen, since smoke rises. Once you get outside during a real fire, don't go back inside. Call 911. And here to aid in your escape, Duke of Iron and his 1945 Calypso Troubadours out the fire. Well, in fact, the power gave the command when he heard the fire siren alarm. In fact, the power gave the command, I mean, he heard the fire siren alarm. Out the fire, out the fire, take some water, Thank <laughs> you. 
rum and rain When Pondy walk on Pond down the main Oh, Miss Mary, I was made to understand She run down the roadway, go down in hand Out the fire, was the fire chief from the 1930s played by the american military band this was preceded by the duke of iron and his calypso troubadours with their 1945 out the fire a recent study determined that firefighting is one of the most stressful jobs there is it can be physically stressful requiring bending crawling and lifting heavy loads not to mention the hazard of smoke inhalation and heat exhaustion Firefighters are often also first responders, 
and so are exposed to COVID and hepatitis. In spite of this, they continue to love their careers and dedicate themselves to the public good. Johnny Temple will now elaborate on the dangers of the profession. Here is Fireman Blues from 1940. My house is on fire. He never still burning down. Fireman Blues. That was Johnny Temple in 1940. Now let's extinguish this hour with a mini radio drama of firefighters in action, entitled Fire Engine, produced by Helen Myers in 1942. Hello? Station 121 reporting. 523 Bacon Ryan Avenue, three-story frame house. All right, boys, snap into it. Five, two, three, Bacon Ryan Avenue. Three-story frame house. Truck number three and hook and ladder. Okay, Chief, we're right with you. 
Hey, look up ahead there. We're coming to it. Yeah. Slow down till I find the fire truck. There it is, over there. The chief arm comes with it. Hook and ladder, boys, boys. Let him pass you, Clancy. Okay, chief. Dog. The collie dog? Good. Where is he? Second floor, Clancy. I'm going after that dog, Chief. Oh, good luck, Clancy. Thanks. Here I go. That firefighting vignette from 1942 was produced by Helen Myers and called Fire Engine. And this concludes this hour's tribute to the deities of fire. We saw how a roaring fire draws people together in fellowship, allows us to cook our food and make better tools. But we also saw the destructive power of fire and how to exercise caution and protect ourselves by maintaining smoke alarms and having an action plan for the family in case of a destructive fire. Practice getting away from your bedroom to the outside with a blindfold on. In the case of a real fire, once you get outside, stay there and call 911 from a safe place. And finally, we doffed our hats to our dedicated firefighters who do the backbreaking and dangerous work of getting those flames under control. You are listening to WSHDLP Esport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. And now it's time for Nick Carter, Master Detective, first broadcast in 1945. This episode is Murder by Fire. So let's listen. It's another case for that most famous of all manhunters, the detective whose ability at solving crime is unequaled in the history of detective fiction. Nick Carter, Master Detective. 
presented by the three great Linex home brighteners. Linex clear gloss varnish, Linex cream polish, and Linex self-polishing wax. Created by Acme, America's great producer of fine Acme quality paints. Today's curious adventure, Murder by Fire. Or Nick Carter and the mystery of the midnight alarm. In just a moment, we'll hear how Nick solved the mystery of who killed Jenny Baker and why, and what was behind the fire that destroyed Oscar Warren's button factory at midnight. But first, let me tell you something. Millions have learned from experience that Chemtone, the miracle wall finish, brings amazing new beauty to walls. Now, millions more are finding that the three great Linux home brighteners brings amazing new beauty to floors, woodwork, and furniture. Linux self-polishing wax, which beautifies your floors with a satiny yet tough non-skid finish that resists wear, water, and dirt. Linux cream polish, which cleans as it polishes, leaving no oily film on your furniture. And Linux clear gloss varnish, the durable super varnish that dries to an elastic, transparent surface which protects all wood and linoleum in your home. You'll find the three great Linux home brighteners at your hardware, paint, or department store. Your headquarters also for Chemtone, the miracle wall finish. And now for today's mysterious adventure with Nick Carter. As we start today's story, Nick and Patsy are watching a big factory fire in the downtown district. Suddenly, Nick calls to the battalion chief. Chief, there's a woman trapped up there on the top floor. You're crazy, Carter. The boys reported all clear several minutes ago. I don't care what they reported. There's a girl up there. I just heard her scream. I'm going up and get her. You're a fool to go in there. But if you do, be sure to get that gas mask of yours on tight, or you won't come out again. These button factory fires are full of poison gas from the celluloid and peroxylin. Makes no difference. I've got to find out about that girl, Chief. So long. Hey, Bill. Yeah. Get one of those two-inch nozzles over here. Rush it up the big ladder, up to the top floor. Cover Carter while he's inside there. He's a fool, but he's a brave man. Can you see him yet, Chief? No, he's been gone long enough to be out of there twice already. Well, there he is, Chief. Chief, over there. Yeah, he's got somebody with him. Ambulance, over here. Get the first aid kit in a hurry. Nick, Nick, are you all right? Yes, Patrick, I'm all right. Here, here let me get your gas mask off. There, Thanks, Patsy, I'm okay. Nick, Nick, the ambulance is coming. It's no use, Chief. She died in my arms on the way down. Oh, Nick. A poor kid. Yes, Chief, it's not only first-degree arson, it's first-degree murder as well. Murder? Yes, Patsy, just as sure as I'm standing here. What's going on here? Who's that you got there, Nick? I don't know, Riley. Just found her on the top floor of the building. Huh? Tied up and burning to death. You mean somebody deliberately left her there to burn to death? I do. She was bound and gagged and shot up in a closet. But, Nick, why didn't somebody hear her before she got burned so badly? Look here, Patsy. See these ugly red burns on each side of the dead girl's mouth? Yes, what are they? She was gagged. That's why she didn't cry out sooner. She couldn't. Not until the gag burned away. Oh, Nick, she must have suffered agony up there. Hurt. Somebody hurt? Yeah, somebody's hurt. Who are you? I'm Oscar Warren. This 
this factory was mine. Oh, so it was yours, was it? Yes. Did you ever see this girl here before? Uh, let me see. Oh, yes. That's Jenny. Jenny Baker. And who is Jenny Baker? Our bookkeeper. What What happened to her? The same thing has happened to your building, Mr. Warren. Burned to death? Right. But I don't understand. What was she doing here at this time of night? We weren't working overtime or taking inventory or anything. Why was she here? That's only one of the things we don't know, Mr. Warren. Mr. Warren, how did you happen to know there was a fire here? I didn't know. Then what are you doing here? I've been at the movies. On my way home, I stopped to pick up a bundle I left at my office this afternoon. And where's your home? Up in Washington Heights. And where did you go to the movies tonight? In Union Square. So you come all the way from your home in Washington Heights to go to see a movie in Union Square. Uh, yes, huh? but I... And on the way home, you stop at your office, which is a couple of miles out of your way, to pick up a bundle. It's a fine story. Look, if I left the bundle in my office, where else could I go to pick it up? Did you start this fire here tonight? Why should I start a fire in my own factory? Answer yes or no. Did you start this fire and why? No, I didn't. Why should I? Same reason any other firebug has. To make money out of the insurance company. But I Your tell firm you... been making money this year? No. Business isn't so good this year. Yeah, but now that you can get your insurance money, everything's okay, I suppose. Look, why should you accuse me of things like that? Listen, Warren. The factory's been burned down. And a girl has been killed. And someone is responsible. And we're going to find out who. Hi, Nick. Sorry I'm late, Riley. I hoped to get here before you started questioning, Warren, but I couldn't make it. What have you found out? It's been like pulling teeth, Nick. But he's told us that the dead girl, Jenny Baker, was office manager and bookkeeper for his firm for the past seven years... Knew more about customers and accounts than he did. Invaluable, he said. The only thing wrong with her was that she's been going out recently with his partner, Alfred Hoffman. So what if she did go out with this Herman? Ah, uh, it's a crook. And no good. Easy now, Mr. Warren. None of that. Now, you see, Nick, Warren and Herman just didn't get along so good. Couldn't agree on how the business was to be run. Mr. Carter, a couple of months ago, a lot of funny business started. Some shipments were made that hadn't been ordered. Then money was borrowed on the shipments. Other things, too. Yeah, they had arguments, too. Lots of them, Nick. About a week ago, they finally had a fist fight. Yeah, and I licked him, too, the crook. Then we called the partnership off. Which one of you is getting out of the partnership? I'm buying him out. Uh, well, as soon as I get the money together. Yeah, with the money you're hoping to collect from the insurance company, you mean? This is a serious accusation, Lieutenant Riley. Very serious. Why, my client's reputation would be ruined if these charges of yours were made public. Stop sounding off that way, Hamilton. You're not in court and your client's not in jail yet. Strikes me, Hamilton, that if you were to tell your client what a jam he's in and advise him to tell us what we want to know, he'd be a lot better off. That fire was incendiary, no mistake about that. And his bookkeeper died in it. And his alibi ain't even good for a laugh. Absurd, ridiculous. Mr. Warren's spotless reputation over a long ah, period of years... Forget your speech for a minute, Hamilton. See if it can help your client explain a couple of points here. See here, Lieutenant. I don't need any instruction from you as to my duties as a lawyer. Mm. Though perhaps I could instruct you in your duties as a public official. Why, what do you mean by that crack? It's plain enough who set the factory on fire if it was set. Oh, and who do you think did it? Alfred Herman. He threatened to do it a week ago and threatened to kill my client too if he got the chance. Huh? You say he threatened that a week ago? Yeah. Mr. Hamilton's telling the truth, Mr. Carter. Herman said I'd live only just long enough to be sorry I'd kicked him out of the firm. Which I didn't do, really. We, well, we agreed I should buy him out. But you say you haven't paid him yet? No, I haven't had the money yet. Well, will you get enough out of this insurance company, if you get anything at all, to pay off all your creditors, including Herman? All the creditors, maybe, but 
nothing left for Herman. Then it hardly seems logical that he'd spoil his chances of getting money from you by putting you out of business. Yeah, why would he want to do that, Mr. Wise Guy? Have you ever heard of revenge? Many men will pay more for revenge than for anything else. Riley, I think I'll have a talk with this Alfred Herman. Where does he live, Warren? 1335 West End Boulevard. What does he look like? Uh, slender, blonde, young-looking, clean-shaven. You know, a ladies' man. All right, I'll find him. See you later, Riley. Nick? Yes, this is it. What do you want to get out of Herman, Nick? First, I want to see if he has an alibi. Ring again, Betsy. Okay. Well, guess he's not in. No, I'm afraid you're... Huh. Well, what is it? I smell gas. Gas? And it's leaking around the door to Herman's apartment. You think there's something wrong? I'm going to find out. Where's my pick lock? Oh, here it is. This is easy. Oh, good. There. Yes, there is gas in here. Stay outside, Patsy, while I take a look in the kitchen. All right, Nick, but be careful. I'll be all right. Yes, it's coming out of the kitchen here, all right. Whew. Have to get the window open first. That'll let some fresh air in here. Now, trying to kill yourself, are you? Well, not this time, my friend. Come on over to the window. There. I got you just in time, didn't I? Well, you'll be all right. You okay, Nick? Yes, Patsy. But don't come in till the gas clears out some. All right. Is it Alfred Herman you found? Looks like him from the description I got. He's coming around now. Oh. All right, breathe deep. Get some fresh air into your lungs in place of all that gas. Oh, why didn't you let me finish it? Stop being sorry for yourself. Breathe deep. Oh, why should I want to live? Money stolen, business taken away. Now my girl is dead. You know how she died? What agony she went through? Yes. I saw her when he took her away. How'd you happen to be there? I went to the plant to meet her. She asked me to. What was she doing there so late? Checking over the books to find out how much old Oscar Warren had stolen from me these past months. That's all she was staying with the old crook for. As soon as she got the goods on him, she was going to leave. And we were going to get married. You'd like to prove that to a jury? I don't care what happens now. Jenny's dead. True. But would you like to be convicted of her murder? Murder? You mean the fire was set? It was. Let me help you up. Yes, it was set by someone who knew enough about the button business to gather up all the shavings of celluloid and put them where they'd start burning the best. When was it set? Around 9.30 to 10 o'clock, as near as we can figure. You have an alibi for that time? Well, yes, I... I spent the whole evening with Dottie Baker, Jenny's sister. Where? At their apartment on Royal Avenue. You fond of Dottie? Yes, I am. Maybe you'd rather marry Dottie than her sister. Why, you... If you weren't a cop, I'd kill you for something. I am not that. a cop. I'm a private detective. Now, this You've killing... got no right to say that. Jenny's the only girl in the world for me. You sure? Am I sure? Here, look at this. What is it? Here, in my hand. Why, I... Oh, guys! Here's something else for you. Nick, what are you doing? Here's one for you, too. Ah! 
Dick fell for the oldest trick in the world of crooks. Red Pepper hurriedly snatched from the kitchen table and thrown in his eyes when he was off guard, then slugged and knocked out. And Patsy knocked unconscious in the apartment hall as Alfred Herman makes his getaway to parts unknown. Where does all this leave Nick? We'll see in just a moment. If your youngsters have ever tracked in slush, mud, or snow when you just finished cleaning the floor, you know how exasperating it is. But it can be a lot less trouble when your floors are protected by Linex self-polishing wax. For Linex self-polishing wax resists water so that it's removed in a jiffy. Linex self-polishing wax resists dirt too, keeping it on the surface so that it's easily cleaned away. And although Linex self-polishing wax is simply wiped on without tiresome rubbing or polishing, it resists wear as well. What's more, when worn spots appear, it may be renewed at any time without re-waxing the whole floor. Yes, Linex self-polishing wax is a splendid finish for any floor, wood, tile, or linoleum, giving a beautiful satiny appearance. And it's the non-skid finish. The underwriters' laboratories have proved that fact. Get Linex, L-I-N-X, Linex self-polishing wax now. You'll find all three great Linex home brighteners and Chemtone, the miracle wall finish, at hardware, paint, and department stores everywhere. And now, back to our story. We left both Nick and Patsy unconscious in the apartment of Alfred Herman, partner in the button factory, in which Jenny Baker was burned to death. Herman has vanished. As we pick them up, they're on their way downtown in Nick's car. It's early evening. Feeling better now, Patsy? Yes, thanks, Nick. That cup of coffee made a new woman out of me. I feel more normal myself than I did a while back. What a sap that Herman made out of me. You ain't kidding. Where do you suppose he is now? Somewhere miles away from here, no doubt. Your trip to his place didn't accomplish much, did it? No. Except for saving his life, it accomplished absolutely nothing. That's right. I went through everything in the apartment. Found nothing that interested me in the least. Not a clue in a carload. Net result of the trip. One bump on the head for you where he hit you with the iron skillet. One sore jaw for me where he punched me. Ouch. Well, I hope I have better luck where I'm going now. Where is that? I want to have another look at the burnt factory now that the fire's died down enough so I can get in the place. Oh, is it safe? Framework of the building is still standing. Only the contents were burned. Not all of them. Well. There's a hot fire and a short one. That's it. Just ahead there, isn't it? Yes. Now, Patsy, I'm going in. But I want you to wait in the car. Oh, but... I have a hunch something's wrong in there. I want you out here so I can have a friend on the outside. Now, wait here for an hour. If I don't come out by then, call Riley. You mean you think there's still someone in there? I don't know what I think, Patsy. I'm just playing a hunch coming down here at all. And my hunch says be careful. You stay here and watch. All right, Nick, but do take care of yourself. Don't worry, Patsy. I like me well enough to do that very vigorously. Be seeing you. Started this fire, did a very careful job. Contents of the stock room burned completely. The office not hit so hard, except for the, the office files. Huh. Strange. It's a safe door should be standing open that way. This must have been Oscar Warren's desk. Hmm. I hardly touched this corner. That's odd. Bells off the telephone box. 
was taken off so it wouldn't ring. Aha, I see. Well, I guess I'll just take this bell box with me. Take out these two screws, and I... They're a poor shot. Try these. Took a couple of shots at me and ran. If it wasn't so dark in here, I might stand a better chance of seeing which way... Is that a shadow or... Anybody there? Get your hands up and keep them up. And keep coming toward me. All right, I'm coming. Got a flashlight? Yes. Turn it on yourself. I want to get a good look at you. Why, you're... You're Dottie Baker, aren't you? Yes, I'm Dottie Baker. You look just like your sister. You tried to kill me just now? I didn't try to kill anybody. You have a gun? No. I wouldn't even know how to fire one. Did you hear the shooting? Yes, that's what scared me so. What are you doing up here? I... I, I came to look for evidence that my sister was murdered. And what makes you think Jenny was murdered? She was afraid someone was going to kill her. She wouldn't tell me who, but she knew someone had been juggling the stockroom inventories and the shipping records. That's why she was here last night, trying to find out what was going on. But she was afraid something would happen to her before she got the proof. And it did. But I've got the proof. What? Look here. See these metal bands? Yes. They were on the cartons of merchandise that were burned. And they proved that there were only a few of them in the stockroom when the fire started. It's the oldest trick in the business. Remove most of your stock, then have a fire, and claim it burned up all your stock. But where are the cartons of stuff that they took out of here? If you could only find them, they'd prove who did it, wouldn't they? They certainly would, Daddy. And I think I know where to find them. But how could you know that? The bell box where the telephone on Mr. Warren's desk told me. Come on. Where? We'll take you home first. And I'm going hunting for those missing cases. Because the man who juggled the books and removed the cases was the man who killed your sister and set the fire. Oh, I hope you're right, Mr. Carter, Nick Carter. The detective? That's right. Oh, now I know you'll find the murderer. Well, I hope you're right. Oh, by the way... You seen Alfred Herman lately? Oh, yes. He spent last evening at our apartment waiting for Jenny to get through at the factory. Why? Oh, curiosity, Daddy. Just curiosity. One of a detective's most important weapons. All right, come on. Let's get you home. Now, listen carefully, Betsy. Judging from the light on the second floor there... Although Mr. Oscar Warren should be in bed, he's still up. Which makes it more dangerous for you. Yes. But I'm going to have a look in his basement just the same. I'm sure I'll find the missing cartons there. And if I do, the case is over. So I'm going to let myself in while you keep a look out here. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you what to look for, so just keep your eyes open. Okay. Now listen, Patsy, we're up against something very dangerous in this case. So take care of yourself while I'm gone. So, must be nearly a hundred cases piled up against the back wall of this basement, which will send Mr. Oscar Warren... Stop that gun! Get your hands up! Turn around! Face the wall! It'll be hard to make my death look like an accident right here in your own house, Mr. Warren. <laughs> They'll get you if you try it. Why? It's Mr. Carter. I thought you were a burglar. What are you doing here in my house without permission? Looking over your stock of buttons. You have a permit to store this inflammable stuff here? Look, Mr. Carter, I told you Herman was pulling some funny business. These boxes are each supposed to contain two, three hundred dollars worth of buttons. Look, I cut one of these cases open. <clears throat> you see? They're full of junk, rubbish. Herman steals the buttons, fills the boxes with this stuff. Then he ships them and we got to make good. Twenty-five thousand we lost already. 
Why didn't you have him arrested? I couldn't catch him doing it. It's no go, Mr. Warren. Alfred Herman has an airtight alibi. Have you? I was at the movies. All right, Mr. Warren, you and I... Ah! Fire! There's fire all over the place. Yes, that must have been a firebomb. Out this way. The outside door is unlocked where I came in. This way. I, I can't see. The smoke. Here, I'll get you out. Come on. Uh, I thought I was a goner, Mr. Carter. If it hadn't been for Nick, uh, you would have been. Are you all right, Nick? I think so. Lost a little hair, but that's all. Nick, there's still someone in there caught in the fire. Warren, I thought you said the house was empty. It was. I can't understand. I'll see who it is. But, Nick, this house won't be standing more than a few minutes longer. You'll be caught. I'll make it. I got you. I admit you saved my life, Mr. Carter. I'm very grateful. What's the idea of insisting that I go down to police headquarters with you? Because that's where you belong, Hamilton. I know now that you're the one who bound and gagged Jenny Baker and then set fire to the factory. What? You're crazy. That's absurd. You. It could be. Of course. Yes. It was you, not Herman. You had a key. You could get at the stock in the books. And I owe you money, too. So it was you, my lawyer. He's no lawyer, Mr. Warren. I looked him up. He was disbarred some years ago. It was you, Dan Hamilton, who got me to bring these cases of scrap celluloid to my house. You said it would be evidence against Herman. This is ridiculous. Why, at, at the time the police say the fire started, I was at headquarters reporting Herman's threats against Mr. Warren. Here. I'll bet you set off that firebomb in my basement to kill Mr. Connor and me. I'm quite sure he did. But he didn't realize how fast the fire would spread. And he almost got caught in it himself. Going through Mr. Warren's papers, weren't you, Hamilton? Well, this is all too fantastic, Carter. But if you insist on my going along with you, you, you won't mind if I call my office first, will you? Who would be at your office at 3.30 in the morning? Well, the cleaning woman. I could ask her to tell my secretary where you're taking me. So you want to call your office, do you? Well, I'll tell you what. Let's go to your office instead. Oh, no, no, no. That won't be necessary. I'll call later. No, I think we'll go there now. That's it. Drive to Mr. Hamilton's office on Broad Avenue. And hurry. All right, Hamilton. Open the door. And no tricks. Very well. <gasps> Nick, look. Alfred Herman. Yes, Herman. And very dead. Bullet hole right through the heart. And a gun in his hand. Suicide. But why in my office? No, Hamilton. Not suicide, but murder. Murder number two for you. But you can see that he No right-handed man could shoot himself so straight in the heart. And there were no marks of powder on his hand, as there would be if he'd fired the gun. He must have known more about you than I thought he did for you to kill him. All right, Carter. Let's go down to headquarters. We're wasting time here. Now, not so fast, Hamilton. You're too anxious. I want to look at your telephone bell box. Don't move, Hamilton. I'll shoot if I do. Well, what about the bell box, Nick? Look here, uh, Bessie. Hmm? And you too, Warren. Hey, what's that arrangement, Carter? He takes the bell off, sticks a piece of emery paper on the clapper of the bell. Then he fastens a blue tip match where it'll be lighted by the emery paper on the clapper as it vibrates against the tip of the match when the bell rings. The match sets fire to this oil-soaked rag which leads to this wastebasket full of paper and excelsior. So when he phones his office, he sets fire to it. The body is burned up. 
together with all the papers and files that might incriminate him. Is that how he set fire to the factory? It is, Patsy. I have in my car the bell box from Warren's desk at the factory for proof. Hamilton probably called the factory from the police station, which would give him an ironclad alibi. Mr. Carter, so far you haven't found one bit of proof to connect me with this thing in any way. Now, come on, let's get out of here. Why the rush, Hamilton? Have I missed something? Well, then, let's take a good look around. Behind the desk. Under... Uh-huh, so that's it. Dottie Baker, under that big desk. Gagged and tied up so she can't move. Just the way he left Jenny in the factory. All right, Dottie, just a minute. He did it. That Hamilton, I saw him kill Alfred. He's lying. She's going I to saw him do it. I came in just as he shot him. So he tied me up and left me here. He was going to burn the whole building up when he could get where he'd have an alibi. He said so. I guess that does it, Hamilton. I should have killed you outright instead of waiting you, you and your sister. Both of you got in my way. Hamilton? It won't take you as long to die in the electric chair as it took Jenny Baker to die in that flaming factory you left her in. But you'll be just as dead in the end, which is as it should be. All right, come on. Let's get down and turn you over to Riley. I've had all I can stand of a skunk like you. is starred as Nick with Helen Choate as Patsy. Original music is played by Lou White and the programs are written and directed by Jock McGregor. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We have just heard a 1945 episode of Nick Carter, Master Detective entitled Murder by Fire. And we remind you that WSHDLP Eastport is a non-commercial station which does not endorse any products. Now, we head to the oil fields to continue our firefighting in a 1953 episode of Suspense, entitled Hellfire. To John Hodiak in tonight's presentation of Suspense. Tonight, story based on fact as we recreate the excitement and violence of a fire in an oil field. The story is called Hellfire. Our star, Mr. John Hodiak. And now, Autolite presents transcribed Hellfire, starring Mr. John Hodiak, hoping once again to keep you in suspense. Oil hunters are like farmers and fishermen. They all try to harvest a crop. The main difference between them is that the oil hunter has to find his crop before he can harvest it. Finding a nickel glass of beer in a free lunch counter is a lot easier than finding oil in untested territory. I know. I've been looking for it for a long time. Hear that? That's Betsy, my drilling rig. She's scrounging around on the ground again looking for a crop we can harvest. I say again because... This is the eighth time we've tried this session, and so far, no dice. And there are seven dry holes in this immediate area to mark my failures. I feel pretty bad about it. But not nearly as bad as the rest of the stockholders. No, sir, not nearly as bad. The 
stockholders are getting impatient, Drake. The way you talked about this field, they felt you would have something for them long before now. Tell them I'm sorry. That isn't enough. According to the brochure you made up for them, this was supposed to be a sure thing. There's no such thing as a sure thing when you're looking for oil. The brochure said conditions out here were most favorable for oil. You saw the results of the test yourself. If ever a series of tests showed possibility for oil, those did. I brought along a man on the trip down here that I'd like you to meet. Who is he? His name is Hotchkiss, petroleum engineer. Oh. And an expert on costs. Oh. Oh, Mr. Hotchkiss, over yes. here. Mr. Hotchkiss, Mr. Drake. How are you? How are you? Well, find anything? It seems to me this is a very efficient operation, Mr. Drake. Well, I could... However, there are several aspects to be considered which might stamp you as a supreme optimist. You mean the storage tanks? Yes. Well, I'd like to talk to you about that. Yes, I think you'd better. Well, why don't we go back to the office? Mr. McLean? Yes, let's go back. I'm rather anxious to hear what Mr. Drake has to say. Wally! You, Wally! Uh, sorry to bust in like this, Wally. What's the matter? Busted the roller bit off. It's stuck in the casing. I'll be with you in a minute. Uh, sorry, gentlemen, we'll have to postpone this meeting till tomorrow morning. I don't know how long this will take. Your most convenient break, wasn't it? One more snide remark out of you, and I'll shove you down the casing right after the bit. Now, Drake, I'm sure Mr. McLean meant no harm. What time do you want us in your office? Be here around 8 a.m. I think everything will be straightened out by then. Eight it is. So long. See you later. Come on, Smiley. Let's get to work. More coffee, Wally? No, thanks, honey. Got to get to the field. McLean and his watchdog will be there at 8. How does it look? I mean, do you still think there's oil? I don't think there's oil. I know it. I won't get another chance to find it if I miss this time. But you're the best wildcatter in the business. You won't have any trouble getting enough money to try again. People don't like guys who go around spending their money on hunches. And that's what I did this time. McLean's got questions I can't answer. What are you going to do? What can I do? Tell him the truth. Maybe he'll see it my way and maybe he won't. You've got any money to bet, bet that he won't. It's a sure thing. Right, we gotta go now. Okay, if I drive out to the field this afternoon? Yeah, sure. I'll be at the shack. If McLean hasn't booted me out by then. Don't talk like that, Wally. I don't like it. <laughs> well, you're a good wife, honey. Might have to be to stay married to you. Now, you get on out to the field and tell that McLean a thing or two. That I will, Dottie. That I will. Well, are you satisfied? Yes, Drake. All except the particular expenditures Mr. Hotchkiss pointed out. Well, come over here, Mr. Hotchkiss. I want to show you something. Very well. Know what this is? Yes, it's a contour map of an anticline. Right. And we're sitting on top of it. Then why are you so concerned with the inquiry Mr. McLean and I are making? Because I have no proof of it. Proof means oil. And until I strike oil, you'll just have to go along with me, that's all. We don't have to do anything, Mr. Drake. You are the one who has to do something, it seems to me. Now, you listen to me. As long as I'm running this operation, I don't have to do any explaining or answering to anybody. Anytime you think you can get somebody to do the job better, you just buy me out. I happen to own a pretty good chunk of stock, too. I know that. But the block of stockholders I represent have the votes necessary. Hey, we're in. We're in. We just hit the oil sand. Good. The mud's holding back the pressure now. 
Get the control head set to go and drag up the tubing. I'll be with you in a couple of minutes. Yes, sir, Wally. Any uh, other questions, gentlemen? Yes, I have one. Go ahead. Where do I go to buy stock in this outfit? The next few days were a whirl of activity. We snubbed the tubing into the casing without losing a single drop of oil. After a close check of casing head pressures, we figured we had a major find. Almost 10,000 barrels a day was a potential. After we got the tubing set, we got the Christmas tree fastened. This gadget controls the flow of oil through a system of valves that lead to storage tanks, meters, gas traps, all the places oil goes to when it leaves the well. McLean and Hotchkiss took the first train back to town. I don't think they said more than a dozen words to each other up until train time. Finally, it was finished, or just about. All that remained to do was start the oil flowing out of the tubing through the Christmas tree into the tanks. Hi. Hi. Thought you'd be out at the rig cheering when they turned the valve. I had a few reports to make out to the stockholders. What's the matter, Wally? Aren't you happy? Oh, I'm happy enough, Dolly. I'm just so tired I can't hardly stand up. Tired of being sweaty and dirty. As soon as I finish these, I'm going home and take a cold shower. Then I'm going to bed for about a week. Did anybody ever tell you you're a wonderful man? Smiley said so. What? Yeah, I bought him a drink this afternoon. He told me I was wonderful. <laughs> well, at least you haven't lost your sense of humor. Do you feel any different? Why, should I? Well, you're married to a wealthy man now. Huh? Well, I don't see hey, any difference. Wait a minute. What's the matter? Trouble! Holy... Fire! The well's on fire! Wally! Wally, don't go! Blue. Big Steve was turning the valves on. She went right up in his face. We couldn't get near him. Smiley, run to the shack. Put in a long-distance call to Larry Burnett in Tulsa. Tell him we want him to come down here and put out an oil fire. And tell him the name is Price. Right, Wally. And tell Dottie to contact McLean. Tell him what happened. She knows the number. And tell her to tell McLean to hustle on down here. Okay. Carl, Whitey, yeah. Big Pete, come here. You, Whitey, get a team together and start putting up a dirt barricade around the derrick. Right. Make it about 75 feet square and about 5 feet high. When the valve inserts in that Christmas tree go, there'll be a fire shooting all over the place. Okay. Carl, you go with him. Now, what about the shut-off valves at the tanks, Pete? All off. Fire started before Steve opened up. Check them anyway. Right, Wally. Delaney, take some men and get over to the storehouse where they got some tarps. Take the tarps. I'm Wally. Wally. Over here, Smiley. Wally, I called Burnett like you told me to. When's he coming? He ain't. What? He left for Arabia yesterday. They got a fire there. They don't know when he'll be back. Maybe a month. But if the fire eats into the underground pool like it did in Romania in 29, it may be six months. Okay, then. Come on. Well, where are we going? To the shack. I got a few telephone calls to make. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to put the fire out myself. But you can't do that, Wally. Why not? Well, what do you know about putting out oil fires? I've seen them do it. I know the oil business. What more do you want? Oh, what about equipment? That's what I'm going to make the phone calls for. I just spoke to McLean. He's flying down here. Good. What are you going to do? Burnett can't come. I'm going to do it myself. But you can. That's what I told him. He can't do I it. I say I can, and I'm going to. This is Wally. Get me Fred Stone at the Foster Oil Company in Hobbs, New Mexico. And make it quick. 
Autolite is bringing you Mr. John Hodiak in Hellfire, tonight's presentation in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. John Hodiak in Elliot Lewis's production of Hellfire, a dramatic report well calculated to keep you in suspense. When I told Smiley and Dottie I was going to put out my oil fire, I meant it. Only trouble was I wasn't sure I could do it. Oh, I'd seen Burnett snuff him out, but that was his business, and he was the best in his business. Me, I was Wally Drake, sort of a high-class roughneck in the business of looking for oil. There's something about seeing the results of your sweat go up in thick, black, greasy smoke that makes you think an all-out effort can kind of compensate for a lack of experience. I put in a call for some of the things I knew I was going to need. Asbestos equipment, high-pressure pumps and hoses to spray me and keep me from being roasted alive while I was working in there, and some dynamite to use when everything else was set. After I finished my call, Smiley and I went out to look at the fire. I still say you're crazy, Wally. No, I'm not. I just don't want to see all my oil burn up while we wait for Burnett to get back from Arabia. But we might be able to do it another way. What other way? Uh, we could set up another rig about 300 yards from here, spud in. And with the right figuring, we could whip stock right into this casing and cut the flow of oil. And how long do you think that would take? Oh, it depends on what angle we want to intersect the casing. You can't do it, Smiley. Tolerances would be too critical. Well, what about digging a tunnel? We could start about 100 yards. No, I'm not going to take a chance with anyone's life but mine. You'd let Burnett take a chance, wouldn't you? That's what he gets paid for. Now, Smiley, we'll do it just like I said, with me taking the chance. Well, okay, Wally, but let me help. All right. You're going to handle the water to spray me down. Yeah, okay. First, we got to bust old Betsy up. Break up the derrick? Why? Take a look at it. Most of the lower part is white hot now. If I get the fire out without getting rid of that white-hot steel, the fire would start again as soon as the gas hit it. Well, how are you going to do it? Push it over? In a way, yes. I'm going to set two dynamite charges against the base of it and blow it over. But how do you know which way it'll fall? I don't. I'm not an expert. But it might fall. Yes, it might. Well, once the rig is down, then hey, we... Hey, Wally, stuff you sent for us here. Delaney's getting the pump hooked up now and the dynamite's up to the shack. Oh, thanks, Pete. Come on, Smiley. Smiley? Yeah? I'm scared. So am I. If, uh, if things sort of don't go right, uh, see that McLean gives Dottie a square deal on the stock. Sure, pal. Smiley. What is it, pal? Oh, stop short palling me. That's just in case anything happens. It hasn't happened yet, so get that sloppy look off your face. Sure, pal. I, I mean, yeah, well. You see, Pete, I see Yeah, I saw him. And you're all set, huh? Yeah, I'm all set. Is the dynamite guy here? He's outside having a cup of coffee. They got a canteen set up in back of the shack. Yell for him. Yeah, okay. Hey, dynamite over here. Let's go to work. Yeah. Uh, here he comes. I heard him. My name is Collins, not dynamite. Mind if I bring my coffee in with me? 
No, only don't slop it on the floor. Sorry. What do you want to know? Can you rig up a charge that'll knock out two legs of the rig? That's my business. Of course I can. Will I have to set two separate charges, or can you make one charge do it? Any way you want it. How long will it take to get the charges ready? I said, how long will it... I heard you, mister. Give me a chance to drink my coffee. It's getting cold. Hey, listen Hold to you. It, Smiley. Who sent you here, Dynamite? The name is Collins. I said, who sent you here, Dynamite? Stone over at Foster Oil said you needed a man with dynamite savvy. He sent me. Well, I'm the guy who needs you because I'm the guy going into the fire. I got a lot of questions to ask. I'm in a hurry. Now, if you want to talk with that coffee cup shoved down your throat, just tell me. Either way, I want answers, and I want them quick and civil. Now, make up your mind. How do you want to answer me, with or without the coffee cup? No offense, mister. Mr. Drake. Mr. Drake. Well, what do you want to know? How long will it take? How do you want the dynamite? What's the best way? Jellied. We can put it in a can, wrap it in asbestos, and get out in plenty of time if the fire's not too close. How soon can we go? Well, by the time you get all the other stuff ready, I'll be ready. See you out there. Okay. Uh, Colin. Yeah? You forgot your coffee. Ah, thanks. Where's the asbestos suit, Smiley? Oh, it's back of the shack. Let's go. Wally. Uh, go on, Smiley. I'll be out soon. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm... I'm sorry, Wally. I'm sorry. I'm not really heroic. I can't act the part of the brave wife sending her husband out. Oh, Wally, please don't go. I'm so afraid. Well, I, 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 I got her, honey. <laughs> that thing's burning up about $10,000, $15,000 a day. I got her. I don't care if it burns up a million dollars a day. Don't go. Dottie. Dottie. What? Have you ever known me to take wild chances? Oh, sure, I play a hunch as far as it'll stretch, but have I ever gone overboard on a pipe dream? No. Then you must know that I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think I could finish it up right, don't you? Dottie, don't you? But, Wally, I'm so frightened. Well, be a little anxious, maybe, but don't be frightened. You stay right here. Don't come out there. I'll be back to see you as soon as we knock old Betsy over on her side, okay? Okay, Wally. Uh, see you, honey. This was going to be the easy part, if there was such a thing. The fire, instead of shooting straight up in the air, was coming out of all the valves of the Christmas tree like a Fourth of July spray. But there was a good side to it. The back two legs of the rig were comparatively free of any flame, but it was still plenty hot. Ready to go? Yeah. Keep me plenty wet. I don't want to broil. Don't worry, you won't. Got the drill pipe ready? Set to go, boys. Okay, let's have it. I'm ready. Smiley kept the water smacking into me while I got close enough with the drill pipe to plant the charge. Then I retreated, paying out the insulated cable as I went. Once I got to the periphery, I raised my hand to Collins.
Here, Wally. Let me get that thing off your head. Wow. And I'll get the rest of this thing off. How'd it go? Great, huh, Collins? Real great. You did real good. Oh, what now? Now we gotta knock that Christmas tree off the tubing. You can't get close enough for that. Even with that monkey suit, you'd be ashes before you got one turn completed. Yeah. Get Pete and Whitey for me. Pete! Oh, Pete, Whitey, come here. Now, what are you gonna do? I think I know how I can knock that gadget off. What's up, Smiley? I got a job for you guys. Hiya, Whitey. Hiya, Whitey. I want you guys to get me a 50-foot section of casing and a 50-foot section of tubing. We got it. It's right And I want you to put the tubing into the casing and weld it so that we can run water between the two of them. What's that going to do? It's going to give me a water-cooled boom that I can swing from a bulldozer to knock the Christmas tree off. It might take a few hours. Okay, but hurry up. All right, Whitey, get the tubing. Right. Now, you, Pete, see about the casing. I'll go over to the... Listen, Smiley, when I get there, I'm going to swing the dozer in an arc so that the boom acts like a baseball bat. You keep the water going. Yeah, Wally. I stay down behind the asbestos shield, though. I got it rigged all across the front. I know, but it won't help me much when I swing around. Well, maybe I can rustle up some more. No, this'll do. Let's go. Don't forget now, Smiley, the water. Keep it going. I got you. Pete? Go. You stay on the hose with Smiley. Will do. Everything else clear to you guys? Yeah, sure. All right. Okay, then I'm shoving off. started forward, the long boom projecting like some monstrous weapon. The reassuring stream from Smiley's hose smashed into me as I inched closer to the flaming fountainhead of the Christmas tree. As the end of the boom passed about 20 feet to the left of it, I pulled the right tread of the dozer to a slithering stop. Then the boom began its swing, and when it reached the full momentum of its travel, it slammed into the tree like a flaming pillar of doom. Fire began shooting straight up into the air. And suddenly, I couldn't feel the water from Smiley's hose, and in that instant, I began to see her. Ow! Smiley! Smiley! Water. I gotta get out of here. 50 feet. 40. 20. Smiley! Smiley. Water. Hey, Wally. Wally, can you hear the me? The water. What happened to the water? Bad coupling. It'll be fixed in a minute. Okay. I'll be ready for the big blast then. Oh, but you're burned. Let me do it. I'll be all right. This is the easy part. With the Christmas tree off, I can set the dynamite under the fire. I won't let you. Yes, you will. But Dottie... Dottie she... won't know. Collins? Yeah, Wally? How much will it take? Oh, at least seven, eight gallons of the jellied stuff. Get it ready. Wally? Yeah. I'll do it. I know how to place this stuff. Just get it ready. I'll take it in. Whatever you say. That's what I say. Get going. He stopped yet, Smiley? I can't tell from here. Hey, Pete, a little more beef on this hose. My, my hand's cramping. I got it, Smiley. I see him. I see him. He's getting off the dozer. 
to swing left a little, Pete. Where? I can't see. Left of the dozer. See? Over there. Yeah, I see him now. Where's he going? I think he's heading for the draw works. Splash him, Pete! He's almost out of range. Now! He's coming out. Here, let me help. Pressure! More pressure back there! Here he comes. Oh, come on, Wally. I don't think it. I better go after. No, no, no. Stay on the hose. Oh, Wally, come on. Keep the water on him. Keep it on him good. Come on, Wally. Come on. He's in the clear. All right, now, Collins, let her go. She's gone. was all there was to it. Like a blast from the lungs of a thousand typhoons, the dynamite snuffed out the fire as if it were a giant birthday candle. Now I'm fulfilling a part of the wish I had when all this began. I'm staying in bed for at least a week. Hospital food isn't bad, and I get plenty of visitors. The only trouble is they won't let me take a cold shower. But at least it's something to look forward to. Suspense, presented by Autolite, tonight's star, Mr. John Hodiak. Suspense is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed by Lucian Morwick and conducted by Lud Gluskin. Portions of this program are transcribed. Hellfire was written for Suspense by Ross Murray. In tonight's story, Joseph Kearns was heard as Smiley, Clayton Post as Pete, Charlotte Lawrence as Dottie, and Jerry Hausner as Collins. Featured in the cast were Junius Matthews, Herb Butterfield, and Dick Ryan. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1953 episode of Suspense, entitled Hellfire. We remind you that WSHDLP Eastport is a non-commercial station, which does not endorse any products.
bonus tracks. That was Firebird, the Johnny Guarneri Trio from 1945, followed by Firefly Stomp, Floyd Ray and his orchestra from 1939. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of around the world's staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week. Joan Loudon, a.k.a. The Bass Lady, inviting you to join me every Wednesday from 3 to 4.30 p.m. for The Bass Lady Presents, with a different weekly theme from jazz to Celtic, from Newgrass to New Orleans, it's always a mix of great music. That's every Wednesday from 3 to 4.30, with a repeat airing on Saturdays from 4 to 5.30 p.m., right here on 93.3 FM, W-S-H-D-L-P Eastport, Maine I'm all about that base. Hey, have I got a radio show for you Old Coasting comes at you twice a week Thursday at 8, Sunday at 4 Right here on W-S-H-D-L-P in Eastport, Maine 93.3 FM On Bold Coasting, we don't just play the music uh, We like to talk about it a little bit, too It's music and commentary. It's a radio show with liner notes. You kids can ask your parents what that means. Every Saturday night at 7 and again on Tuesdays at 8 for Philly Joe Remarkable's Mad Pad right here on WSHDLP Eastport, Maine, 93.3 on your FM dial. Man, take this crazy pad. Man, it's a mad pad. Listening to WSHDLP Eastport, broadcasting from the hallowed hallways of Shed High School. Tune in Mondays 4 to 6 p.m. for Around the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane, featuring historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world, plus radio dramas from the golden age of radio. If you miss the show, don't despair. There's a repeat broadcast on Fridays, 6 to 8 p.m., and if you miss that, just go to www.cracklinjane.com and download or stream the show at your leisure. Come on by Sam's Caffeine Cafe every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. I'm Sam, the proprietor. I keep all the tables clean. There are no sesame seeds on the floor, no schmutz from the night before, just good music. The first hour, a little bit softer, some Americana, folk, blues, a little bit of jazz, but by 9 o'clock, we are amped up on caffeine. We're playing up-tempo music all hour long. 
It's a grab bag. It's a fun place to hang out, and we would love to have you. We would. Please come by 93.3 WSHDLP Eastport.